Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You might also be listening on your smart speaker that you told to play WMNF. Well, you're listening to the Tuesday Cafe, and I'm Sean Canan. Today on the show, two main topics. Uh, we're going to find out what kinds of financial assistance are available for homeowners and for renters who have been impacted by the COVID-19 econ- economy. We're going to bring you that information that you can use to save money. So I hope you do stay with us. Today, we're also going to find out about the role of fossil fuels in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Here's a headline that came today from the Associated Press. Ukrainian officials say Russia is pounding away at Ukraine's vital southern port of Odessa. They also announced today that they found the bodies of 44 civilians in the rubble of a building in the northeast that was destroyed weeks ago. That was in a city that lies on a key route to the eastern industrial region of Donbass. Donbass is now the focus of Russia's war in Ukraine. Meanwhile, a Ukrainian official said that at least 100 civilians remain trapped at a steel mill in the besieged city of Mariupol, where Ukrainian fighters are making a last stand. And Congress is also working on a package to provide billions more in aid to Ukraine. So we will be talking today about the role of fossil fuels in all of this in those cities like Odessa, Donbass, the Donbass region, Mariupol, which is on the Black Sea, are all going to come up in that conversation and I had planned to talk to do that in the first half of the show, but I see that our guest has not joined us yet. Uh, so we will switch things up a bit, and I'm going to talk about how you can get how you can save money and get money back from the government for the COVID-19 relief funds. Florida has money available for people to deal with the housing emergency. Several state representatives held a webinar recently to let people know about how to apply for funds. I'm going to play some highlights from that online seminar over the next few minutes. So grab a pen and paper, or if you miss any of this, you can listen again on our website, WMNF.org. Beginning about 1130, I'll have the audio for this show up on our website. So in this first segment here, we're going to hear about more than $600 million that's available to Florida homeowners thanks to the Federal Rescue Fund that was signed by President Biden last year. And to hear about how you can apply for that, here's State Representatives Diane Hart from Hillsborough County and Anika Omfroy from Broward County. The Homeowner Assistance Fund was established under Section 3206 of the American Rescue Plan Act, which President Biden sent these dollars to sunny Florida in 2021. And it provides more than $676 million in financial assistance through Florida through the United States Department of Treasury. However, the state of Florida had to send a plan back to the Treasury and wait until that plan was approved in order to be able to spend these dollars. I'm sure under the direction of the governor, this these dollars were directed to the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity to disperse. So it was approved on February 9th of 2022, and we're more than delighted to be rolling this out at this time. So right now, we're going to have Representative Amtroy talk to us a little bit about the mortgage piece. So the mortgage piece, first of all, I want everybody to take time to write down Florida FL homeowner H-O-M-E-O-W-N-E-R, assistance, A-S-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E dot org. That is how we access the Florida Homeowners Assistance Program that we'll be discussing today. And this assistance is available for Florida homeowners who have experienced financial hardship caused by the pandemic. To begin, 
the first steps to determine your eligibility, you have to go to the site. You can't call in and register. You can't text message and register. And that's F-L-H-O-M-E-O-W-N-E-R assistance, A-S-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E dot org. Now, the reason we came together in reference to talking about this is because we have some wonderful programs that are rolled out in Florida, but we don't necessarily know where they are or how to access it. And currently, if I'm not mistaken, Representative Hart, there are how many people registered? 22,000? 22,000 people were registered last Monday. So this is Saturday. I'm sure there's more people who are currently registered today. So this particular (laughs) program, you have to pre-register in order to to be able to participate. When you go in, you pre-register with your information to tell them what area. So homeowners can go in and, um, and actually pre-register in the area that they need help in. I actually went through those steps myself to make sure that it worked. I'm still in the holding pen, but if you are not holding, you will not have access um, right. to it. The most important thing is to register. It's very simple. It's right. not It's not technically difficult. If you're having issues with registering to be able to be in the holding pen, uh, contact our offices because our office team will be more than happy to actually uh, guide you through the process or doing the process for you um, and then reaching out to then get walk you through the steps. We're, we're, I'm still in holding to find out how this all navigates, but there are, like Representative Hart said, there is a lot of money, but it will go very fast because we have lots of needs in the state of Florida. That was State Representatives Anika Omfroy and Diane Hart speaking about the $676 million homeowner assistance fund that's available to Floridians through the federal uh, uh Relief Act, that is. In this next segment, we're going to hear about money that's available to help Floridians pay for things like electricity, insurance, and tax preparation. So we're going to hear again from Representative Diane Hart. We'll also hear from Representative Susan Valdez of Hillsborough County. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. And I Googled Florida Housing Assistance Fund, and it popped right up and it says register in the middle of the page. And then you and I actually printed it out because I wanted to see what it looked like. And you and it's very simple. It's a one pager with your basic information. And then they get back to you with, I am going to assume, a larger you know, application. But my understanding is it's not very difficult to do. So Representative Valdez, Representative Onfors talked about the mortgage. Can you talk a little bit about the insurance that can be paid? Oh, and absolutely. also your electricity bills that can be paid well, as well. There, there are different buckets that can be uh, paid out of this. So it's not just your mortgage. You can do your mortgage. You can do utilities. You can do your homeowner's insurance. You can do your property taxes and even including your condo association fees as well as your internet. So all of these things are essential in a household, right? So these are other the other buckets that you can actually tap into when you do apply. And by the way, just to add a little bit, if you have someone that you know of that needs this kind of assistance and does not have an email address or any availability for access to the internet or even an email, 
please reach out to our offices and we will gladly also assist in, in getting your application in there. I think about some of our senior citizens that maybe may not necessarily have an email address and things of that nature. Uh, but those are the buckets that we just talked about. Again, your mortgage, utilities, homeowners insurance, property taxes, homeowner and condo association fees, as well as internet. Representative Woodson, can you talk a little bit about the taxes and and I also I'd like you to tell us what other required documentation might be needed to complete your application. Thank you very much, Web Hart. And as my colleagues just stated, there are several buckets that you can tap in in order to get your insurance, your property insurance uh, taxes paid. For example, you can be delinquent in your property tax. So they have assistance for you from that pool of money, that $676 million that Webhart mentioned earlier that came from the Biden administration and passed down to the state to administer. So if your taxes, your property taxes delinquent, you can go on the site that Web Home Forehead provided, the www.floridahomeownersassistant.org, where you would see where you can complete your preliminary application. It's a preliminary application that you would complete, and then they would send you the main application, and they would tell you what you need to put in there, what you need to provide to them in order for you to be qualified. The Delinquent Property Taxes Program will assist income-eligible Florida homeowners who have experienced a financial hardship or burden at the time. As well, you can pay your pop. There's also the property tax assistance program. If you have property taxes that have not been paid, yes, you can uh, You can be qualified for it, but you have to go to a qualification process before you can be determined eligible. And uh, DOE will definitely work with the property appraiser's office the collector's property collector's office, tax collector's office, property appraisers or tax collector's office. They would work together with them in order to provide you with that type of assistance. As well, there's homeowner insurance uh, assistance as well. So all those different ones that we mentioned, the delinquent property tax, property tax assistance program, homeowner insurance assistance program, all these will be eligible at the same website that we provided you with in order for you to be determined eligible. So that you would find out also what type of documentation that you need to provide in order right. to be eligible. <laughs> yes. And there, there are a couple of uh, questions popping up in the chat. One is Representative Antroy, you talked about before we got on this call, uh, condo associations and what, what is it that they're willing to pay if you have a condo or your, co-op rep. Your, not your special assessment, but your normal assessments that you will receive um, that you have to pay for your condo association, which was one of the concerns that were brought, brought to my attention by the community. Your regular maintenance fee, not your special assessment, but your regular maintenance fee, they will be able to assist with that. Absolutely, they will. There was one more question out there. That question was, is this a one-time payment? to catch up whatever it is that you may be behind on. So one of you ladies can speak to that. I believe that it's going to be a one-time thing until the money runs out. 
Right. So right. that's why it's extremely important that you, you get on that list and register. Well, that was Susan Valdez and Diane Hart, state representatives from Hillsborough County. And we also heard from Anika Umfroy from Broward County. They were talking about the $676 million homeowners assistance fund and other state help that you can get if you've been having trouble with your with during the economy during COVID-19. Well, we're going to change gears right now to talk about Russia and Ukraine and about fossil fuels. Earlier, I set it up with a story from the AP that mentioned the cities of Odessa, the region of Donbass, the city of Mariupol, the Black Sea. And all that's going to come into play in the, the uh, in this um, interview that I'm about to have with Charlotte Dennett. And I'm joined right now by with Charlotte Dennett, Dennett, the author of Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy and the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. Thank you so much for joining us, Charlotte. I, I hope you can hear me okay. You sound great. And if you can Good. hear us, then we're all set. Uh, we're th- all set. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, First of all, we should know that there are three pipelines for Russian gas that gets below the Black Sea into Turkey and Bulgaria. So um, to, do, to talk, maybe I'll start this conversation with talking about the relations between Turkey and Russia before about 2013. Uh, the, the relations between Turkey and Russia before 2013? Before the pipeline, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, which pipeline are you referring to? Well, so um, I guess what I'm getting at is that um, the, the relations between Russia and Turkey were not very great. But then, then all of a sudden there was this, I think it was, is it the first Gazprom um, that was, sorry, the first Turk stream pipeline that, yes. that became, that warmed up the relations between Turkey and Russia. And there was also military deals involved. So what's the connection there between the well, military? Well, you're right. You're right about that. Um, you know, pipelines, I learned through my uh, years of research, play a very important role in power struggles. And I'll talk to about Turkey in a second, but just to sort of lay the context, um, they're, they're very important because the oil has to be distributed. And when you are landlocked, for instance, it's got to be by pipeline. But the whole issue is, which territory does it pass through? Whose permission do you need to uh, get that pipeline built? Uh, what, what are the transit fees that are going to be charged to a particular country? And um, what's the overall goal? Uh, so with the question of Turkey, yes. Uh, Turkey envisions itself as a major corridor for, for energy and for pipelines. And so in that respect, uh, because of that ambition, um, you're going to have stronger relationships. And and so, yes, that Turk Stream Pipeline was built. And um, most people don't even refer to that one. I'm glad you did, because that's sort of a a precedent to uh, Russia being able to um, effectuate ties with other countries to send its its huge volumes of natural gas. And the way I look at this Ukraine situation, by the way, is simply that this is a battle between two superpowers. Uh, The United States has the largest reserves of natural gas, and uh, Ukraine uh, actually has the the second largest reserves of natural gas in Europe, 
And so what, what the standoff is, is who's going to supply most of the energy to Europe. And, and the United States has, has tried to prevent this happening. Um, back in 2014, it, um, it, you know, there was this uh, coup actually that happened that was, that was actually caused by uh, the United States. And, and the whole idea is to wean Europe off of Russian natural gas. And Putin doesn't like that, obviously. His whole, his whole military power is based on profits from the sale of natural gas and oil. So I see this as an energy war more than anything else. We can talk about that more. But if, if you look on maps, maps are so important. And by the way, my book, Follow the Pipelines, has 12 pipeline maps in it. And suddenly everything becomes clear to people what these conflicts are all about. Yeah, and I'll stop there. I sort of expanded on your question. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, and speaking of maps, you know, the, I, I referred to maps a lot in pre- preparing for this interview, uh, especially it, I was kept I kept being drawn to the Black Sea, and that's of course um, uh, Russia is uh, battling Mariu- in Mariupol, which is on the Black Sea. I believe Odessa is on the Black Sea, and Snake Island, which we might talk about a little bit later, all in the Black Sea. What is what's the importance of the Black Sea? In two p- reasons for global um, shipping, I guess global uh, commerce, but also for what's underneath the waters and underneath the the, the seabed of the of the Black Sea. Yeah, absolutely correct. Um, isn't it interesting in this country um, when, when you watch, you know, mainstream media, the major cha- TV channels, and so on? There's no mention of the fact that the Black sea is swimming in oil and natural gas. It's got huge deposits in there. And um, by uh, seizing Crimea, for instance, if you look at one of the maps in my book, you'll see that Putin was able, therefore, to get more access to the Black Sea uh, oil and natural gas resources. And then when you look at the map about where uh, where he's focusing his troops, like Mary, Mary Upal, <laughs> Marie Anyway, however you pronounce it, um, it is right there. And uh, it's always been a major port for energy. Uh, A little fact that, again, isn't discussed much. And and I should tell people that the reason it isn't discussed is up until the war in Ukraine, um, oil and natural gas was largely censored because they were considered national security issues. And the reason they're natural security, well, the oil itself is hugely important for uh, fueling the military. In fact, the militaries all around the world are the biggest consumers of oil. And as long as we have them dependent on oil, we're going to have conflicts uh, because, yeah, if if you want superpower status or major power, you have to secure oil. And, And what's happened in Ukraine, first of all, we remember that right before the, right after the, the initial invasion, that some of those um, convoys of Russian tanks were stalled because they ran out of gas. I, I was surprised by that because um, Russia has plenty of it. Uh, but I don't know, maybe a refinery was bombed or something. They ran out of gas. And that's what they, they're always concerned about. Um, Anyway, the Black Sea is very crucial and has long been known to hold these reserves. And so 
also the Caspian Sea, I might say, which is to the east of the Black Sea, is, is another place rich in oil and natural gas. And it was the pipeline connected to, to the Caspian Sea uh, that um, was to be built crossing Afghanistan. And it still hasn't happened because of conflicts there. Our guest is Charlotte Dennett, the author of Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy in the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. I'm Sean Canaan. You're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe on 88.5. It's 1026 in the morning. Uh, a moment ago, uh, we, we talked about the importance of geopolitics and oil and, uh, and natural gas, of course. In, in that context, Putin, after the invasion, announced that Russia would only sell its natural gas to what he called unfriendly countries, and we're going to find out what that means, and all, or, or maybe he didn't say that, but only to what are called unfriendly countries, and only in Russian rubles he would not accept dollars or euros. What is the importance of all of that? Well, the reserve currency is very important, and uh, the United States up until fairly recently, has always had the um, the edge on any other uh, currency. In other words, petrodollars. So um, they're all linked. How how you pay for the oil and gas, uh, whether it's in dollars or rubles. Obviously, Putin wants rubles. All right, and he's going to do everything he can um, to make unfriendly countries like. Bulgaria and Poland, for instance, he wants them to, to um, buy in in rubles. Now, I I heard that they were resisting that, and that they may be getting their natural gas from somebody else. I'm not so I'm not sure that actually went through, but clearly that's what he wants to do. Um, he Putin does not accept uh, U.S. dominance of the world, uh, global dominance, and so this horrendous war part of that, part of his effort to uh, challenge uh, U.S. dominance and to um, make Russia great again, so to speak. Uh, sort of the, the good old days of the Soviet Union. That's what he's trying to do. It, it's really, I find it terribly tragic and, and hugely dangerous, this, this war that's going on. And, and the problem is that because of largely over access to energy. I don't see it ending soon. I see it just, you know, who's going to win out in the end? And um, I don't know how long this is going to be with us. I'm worried about it escalating. And, you know, they don't say this is about oil because who wants to surrender their boys to a war over oil? It's always been that situation. They've always kept that out of the uh, public explanation, whether it's uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, those are all pipeline wars, as I point out in my book. And now we have Ukraine. And the interesting thing about Ukraine is they can't hide it anymore. It's so obvious. You know, as soon as this war started, I thought, hmm, what's this about? And bingo, the first sanctions that were uh, done against Russia was the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that that has been completed, running from Russia under the Baltic Sea to Germany. Was supposed to go online this summer, but the West, uh, primarily U.S., stopped that from happening. So um, you can see that this is largely an energy war besides a war for territory. All of eastern Ukraine, that's where most of the oil is. So no wonder Putin is focusing 
on occupying eastern Ukraine, and the U.S. is trying to prevent it because they had major U.S. oil companies in there. Um, some of them have withdrawn. I believe Exxon Mobil has withdrawn because of the war. In the eastern Ukraine, that's the Donbass region. Donbass region, all yeah. of that, sure. And so that's yep. where a lot of Ukraine's oil and gas is. I want to remind people that you're that we're speaking with Charlotte Dennett, the author of Follow the Pipelines. And you're talking about how the Ukraine and Russia conflict here, how much of it is, is uh, due to fossil fuels. The Brookings Institute has called has said Russia is to natural gas what Saudi Arabia is to oil. So if all these Eastern European countries are reliant on Soviet on, on Russian gas, that is, if Europe does indeed try to wean itself off gas and pursues things like net zero emissions, um, what will happen to Russia's importance or or the value? What is Russia's in, um, importance, how is Russia in, involved in keeping that from happening and making sure that they're always going to be dependent on Russian natural gas? Well, for one thing, uh, Putin, he's a, he's a master at the great game, you know, ex-KGB. So, uh, and he knows how to play the game. And I would argue that up until now, um, he, he was very clever and he won out. He keeps looking for new pipeline routes to circumvent uh, the uh, the West's efforts to to get more support. Um, he's going to continue doing that, and um, that's the game that's that, that's going on now. So he he wants to he surely wants to s- secure uh, Eastern Ukraine. Who knows? He may be building more pipelines through there. Um, but what's happening is that um, <clears throat> you will see that. Russian pipelines traverse Ukraine, and Ukraine was getting uh, sizable transit fees out of that, millions of dollars worth. And so um, now, because of the war, uh, I believe the natural gas is still going through there, but at any time, uh, Putin could stop it. So there's, there's a mad scramble going on right now. And, and it's really funny. The U.S. is turning to its enemies, like, like Venezuela, right? Oh, please, put out more oil and natural gas. And they're balking. Saudi Arabia is balking. Why is Saudi Arabia balking? Because it's got good relations with Russia. This, this is a quandary for the United States. And and the other quandary is, he's uh, Biden has called on um, calling American domestic suppliers of oil and gas to pump out more, and he's he's even uh, now allowing uh, uh, drilling in leased leased federal lands. The problem for him is that some of these oil companies they don't want to pump more because they're making lots of profits right now with the shortage or the scramble. Uh, the profits are doing beautifully. If if they start doing more drilling uh, to increase the output, it may lower their profits. So you, he, Biden's got that dilemma as well. It's most of Europe is really worried about how this whole thing is going to end up, uh, primarily because of their energy supplies. Like Germany was trying to wean itself totally off of nuclear power, and this Nord Stream pipeline was going to be a savior. So now they're trying to build uh, terminal points 
in Europe, including in Germany, to receive American natural gas. And, and the frack gas industry is making out like bandits right now. So they're trying to supply um, the European continent with more natural gas, but they have to build more terminals because they don't have enough uh, to receive these large LNG uh, tankers. So the energy markets are really in flux and it's very hard to predict what, what ultimately is going to happen. Our guess the frack gas people are doing well, they're doing great, but some of the majors don't want to drill more. It's all our, about the price of oil. Our guest is Charlotte Dennett, the author of Follow the Pipelines. We're talking about how fossil fuels are uh, kind of leading the way when it comes to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And Charlotte, a moment ago, you were talking about drilling in the United States. And so I want to read this uh, short headline that, that is happening today in New Orleans. A federal appeals court will hear arguments today about whether President Biden legally suspended new oil and gas lease sales because of climate change worries. The case has not been tried, but a federal judge blocked the order saying, only Congress could suspend the sales. Federal lawyers say the government has broad power to hold, cancel, or defer lease sales. Lawyers for 13 states say a law covering oil and gas leases requires the sales. After the judge in Northeast Louisiana ruled for the states, the Interior Department held an offshore lease sale, but a federal judge in Washington then canceled it. Four onshore lease sales are scheduled in June. So none of this is directly related to the war between Russia and Ukraine. But I guess it all kind of gets to the idea of are global economies going to wean themselves off of oil and natural gas or are, and go toward more toward um, non-fossil fuel sources of energy? Or is oil just kind of uh, a natural part of our energy mix and it's going to be here for the f remaining future? Uh, any thoughts about that, and especially when it comes to the, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine? It's all part. It's all part of the same system. And, um, you know, what I've been reading is that in Europe, there is intense efforts, even more intense efforts, to wean themselves off of oil and natural gas. Whereas in the United States, the opposite is happening. It is drill, baby, drill again in some cases. Um, I would also say that you have to make a, a distinction between the independents, the smaller oil and natural gas companies, which are um, the frack gas industry, which happened to be the major support behind Trump, by the way. Uh, and and so they, they're definitely trying to capitalize on this. And there's talk about, you know, climate, climate change. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, this is the real world. And uh, you, you, you got to you got to be practical about this, namely drill, baby, drill. Uh, climate activists are very alarmed about this in, in the United States. And so some of them are saying, no, we're still going to renew our efforts to find an alternative but what what i've been reading is it's not that easy in other words even with uh solar and sun uh ramping up uh it's not going to meet all the immediate energy needs in the, in the near future so again it's all up for grabs but but you can be sure that it's all interrelated the other aspect besides petrodollars and energy supplies is the military. What I discovered is that with pipelines, um, you have to have them protected militarily. And that also explains a lot about 
these endless wars that we've been in Afghanistan and Iraq are both pipeline wars and huge amounts of military. See that all that military being sent into Ukraine. I, I would wager that it's not just to support Ukraine as it's fighting the Russians. I would wager that those supplies are going to be there and they're going to end up being protecting who knows what, uh, but it will be energy routes as well. It's all interconnected. Our guest is Charlotte Dennett, author of Follow the Pipelines. We're talking about how fossil fuels are a driver between the Russia-Ukraine war that's happening right now. And Charlotte, do you feel like t- taking a phone call from one of our listeners? Of course. Okay, sounds great. Uh, let's go right now to Jeff in Plant City. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I have always been very frustrated by the the way oil is priced, and it, it could be for lack of knowledge, but it seems to me that when the price of oil, or say specifically even gasoline, when it falls, it falls on real information, uh, excess production, uh, excess inventory, uh, pandemic, you know, nobody's buying it, uh, which I guess is the basis of our whole economy. But when oil rises, it seems to rise on speculation, which to me, uh, another word for speculation would be imagination. I mean, are, are the you know speculators saying worst case scenario? You know, we we could be out of oil or something like that. You know, so it goes up. Uh, you know, a- am I missing something here, or is, is, that just seems like profiteering to me? Thank you for the question, Jeff. Let's see what Charlotte has to say about that. Oh, uh, you're right. You're right on. Of course, they're they're going to try to exploit this as much as they can, and so um, for instance. I don't know how much the uh, cost of gasoline is in your area, Florida, or Florida. Where, what's it running by? I know in California it's six to seven dollars a gallon. Yeah, right now um, it's it's a little bit more than um, I think it's a little bit more than four dollars a gallon. So between about uh-huh. four fifteen and four thirty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's what it is in Vermont where I live. But you will find places where that they are artificially raising the prices, and there's efforts to stop. There are investigations going on right now uh, uh, with regard to price fixing. I don't know how successful they will be, but yes, they're and and you know they say that they're they're responding to their their stockholders. You know, the people who have stock, they they love it. They, yeah. Keep, keep it up, you know, but most of us suffer as a result of it. And that, that makes it very difficult, for instance, you know, for the, for the Biden administration. Um, there's, there's only so much he can do. He's trying, but um, the, the odds are that um, he can only do so much. And, and we're going to be stuck with these high gasoline prices for some time, I believe, which is hurting all of us. <laughs> We're speaking with Charlotte Dennett, author of Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy in the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. This is WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canan, and you're listening to Tuesday Cafe. And we have an email question in here from Jeff. Um, Maybe it's the same Jeff. Uh, I don't know. But maybe it's not. So it says, Jeff says, I've noticed that some big oil and gas companies, such as ExxonMobil, Marathon, Valero, et cetera, have increased in value over the last months. Are those companies somehow benefiting from the war? I would say, yes, they are. 
I mean, oil, all oil companies are, are benefiting from this war. And uh, that's been well documented. They're, they're, and the, the interesting thing is that, you know, two years ago, they were almost going bankrupt because of COVID. Yeah, the, it it the, was just fascinating. In the beginning no of the, one, sorry to interrupt you, Charlotte, but in the beginning of the pandemic, the price of gas was, it hit zero, and, or not gas, but the price of oil on the world market hit zero and then actually went to negatives. You had, they were, for a very short time, they were paying people to take oil from, yeah. from you. It's just, just incredible. So now all those um, misfortunes have been reversed and their profits are higher than they have, they've ever been. Charlotte Dennett is author of Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy and the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. And you're listening to WMNF Tampa. We have Rob in Thanota Sasa on the line. Rob, what would you like to ask? Hi. Um, I was curious whether your guest, how rational your guest believes Putin is and um, if, if he considers this battle over energy to be for Russia, in, uh, an existential problem, and and if the Russian military proves to be unable to dominate Ukraine, whether or not he could uh, decide to try to play brinksmanship with by using maybe tactical nukes or something in order to uh, to gain an advantage. All right, thank you for the question, Rob. Um, that's the great unknown. Uh, we don't know. I mean, for instance, there was much speculation that, that Putin was going to formally declare war. Uh, and that would have been brought in more conscripts into the battle. And everyone was surprised when the, the major uh, May 5th celebration for the victory over Nazi Germany in 45, that major celebration was subdued. And there was not a call for conscripts. And, and there's thinking that the reason is because if there were, that would indicate to the Russian people that the war is not going well. And um, so, you know, they make predictions and you can't be sure. There is good intelligence, pretty good intelligence, it would seem. And the U.S. seems to be doing, uh, U.S. and its NATO allies seem to be doing quite well in blunting uh, Putin's advance. Uh, I think the hope is that there's going to be a, a regime change. That's clearly, even even Biden, I mean, uh, Biden sort of let it slip that um, he shouldn't be in power. Putin knows this. He knows that, that they would like to get rid of him. So he's a wily guy. I would never underestimate him. Um, with, but honestly, I can't predict what he's going to do next. Well, thank you for that question, Rob. Anything else? Yeah, really quickly, and I'll take your answer off the off the, off the air on the air that uh, you know nuclear power is a very controversial uh, issue, but it seems to me that um, this reliance on petrochemicals is very uh, it's it's causing all this, these problems. And even though nuclear power has its own you know with nuclear waste and so on, but still it is clean energy. And it also is, uh, it will reduce our dependence um, because, you know, right now, green energy is not productive enough to replace, you know, oil. So how about uh, a chance that nuclear energy could uh, sort of defuse these situations? Thank you for the question, Rob.
I, that is a good question. And as I've been appearing on shows, I've, I've been getting reactions from different um, different sectors of the energy um, infrastructure. And yeah, I, some people are saying this is a time for people to look again at nuclear and specifically at uh, more advanced nuclear energy. Um, I remain somewhat skeptical. I know there's been efforts in the United States to start some some new nuke powers, and, and they have not succeeded. They're very expensive, for one thing. That's a problem, to build these things. The other thing is, how do you deal with the waste? The still That still seems to be a problem. And uh, we know that the old reactors uh, emitted um, waste that was dangerous. So I... I don't know if, if if nuclear power is going to be able to step in and fill the gap. There are efforts, though. There, there are definitely a lot of pro-nuke people out there saying, look at us, we, we've learned our lessons, and we've got uh, better reactors, so we'll just have to watch it. If I could just add something, if I have a couple of minutes, just, just to tell people how I got into this situation. Um, my father was... Um, America's first master spy in the Middle East, Daniel Dennett. And he was sent over there in early 44. Uh, and and um, I was able to, he died in a, in a mysterious plane crash in 47 after a top secret uh, mission to Saudi Arabia. So as an adult, I started investigating his death. And in his case, uh, the mission was to pr- protect protect the oil of Saudi Arabia at all costs. That came out of a declassified re- uh, record of his because I sued the CIA for information. And um, it was a Trans-Arabian pipeline that was going to carry that Saudi oil to a terminal point on the Mediterranean, which would either have ended in Lebanon or its next-door neighbor, Palestine, which is now Israel. And the more I studied that pipeline and its route, the more I began to understand how how absolutely critical they are. There, there was one contemporary of my father who called the, the Trans-Arabian Pipeline the artery of empire, that is, the American empire in the Middle East, which it certainly was. And then it, it was able to advance uh, the United States into a superpower. It was because of its control of Saudi oil. And even America's own allies were uh, very alarmed by this because, like, the French and the English controlled the Middle East uh, before World War II. And then along comes this upstart, the United States, that gets control of the greatest reserves of uh, oil in, in the world. It was a bonanza. It helped... Uh, it helped fuel the Marshall Plan. It helped that Saudi oil. It helped wean Europe off of communist-controlled uh, coal coal mines, and um, that's when the 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 Cold War really started in '47. Around that time, the Truman Doctrine, which was like declared to be a, a basically a, a war on all communist countries, but it, but what most people don't understand it was primarily fixated on the Middle East and trying to make sure that the U.S. had control over Greece and Turkey. So anyway, um, that's how I got started, looking at all the incredible intrigues around the, um, the uh, tap line and then uh, 
realizing that if I followed the pipelines right up to the present, I would find this common denominator of uh, pipelines are the arteries of empire. They're extremely important political factors. They call it pipeline politics, as a matter of fact. Our guest is Charlotte Dennett, and her book is called Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy and the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. And as you just heard, that lost spy that uh, that Charlotte was talking about was her father, Daniel Dennett, who was uh, in the predecessor to the CIA. So very interesting stuff there. Um, we were talking a moment ago about climate change and about weaning uh, people off of fossil fuels, weaning our society off of fossil fuels. And I want to play some a little bit of audio from Nancy Pelosi. The House Speaker was in Miami Beach yesterday addressing climate activists and that she said that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has made energy independence more important than ever. The invasion is being funded by European nations that buy oil from Russia. And Pelosi says it's tragic evidence for the need to urgently deal with the causes of climate change. Here's a little bit of what Nancy Pelosi said yesterday in Miami Beach. The fact is that people can't get away with that kind of behavior and they cannot be financed in doing it by our dependence on fossil fuels in their country. And Pelosi also said that she hopes to introduce legislation this week that would hammer Russia with more sanctions. Whether it's humanitarian support, whether it's economic support, whether it's sanctions, 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 or whether it is um, three things, weapons, weapons, and weapons. Is there anything worse for the environment than war? So that was a little bit of what House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said yesterday in Miami Beach. During the opening session of the Aspen Institute's climate conference, the conference runs through Thursday. So I guess I could put my um, question, my next question to our guest, Charlotte Dennett, author of Follow the Pipelines. Um, what do you think about that, that um, statement there that Nancy Pelosi said that, you know, a lot of things are bad for war, I'm sorry, are bad for the environment, like burning fossil fuels. But another thing that's really bad for war is all the fossil fuels and so on that's burned during a, during a war. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. Uh, and, and I might add that, um, you know, President Biden uh, learned about the aftermath of the Iraq war about burn pits and uh, all the uh, used up uh, petrochemicals burned in these pits and other chemicals and the, it caused cancer. And he has definitely attributed the cancer of his son, the brain cancer to the fact that he was stationed over there and uh Apparently, was around burn pits. I mean, it is very bad. It's very dangerous for the for the environment. So, it, it, it's kind of amazing situation they're in. I think Nancy Pelosi uh, really believes that we that we have to uh, find alternative sources of energy. Uh, but at the same time, with this war going on, I, I feel like it's almost beyond her control, frankly. Um, the, the Biden administration is under huge pressure um, to relax all regulations that would have inhibited building uh, more pipelines. Uh, the XL pipeline, for instance, uh, a lot of pressure to reopen that. And so 
they're doing two things. They've got to balance. They've got to sort of. I mean, the Democrats have to say, "Look, we still realize it's important to find alternative energy, but at the same time, we have to be practical and we have to supply our allies." So, I don't know how it's all going to end up. Hopefully, not in nuclear war, but you know, there's triggers. A, a stupid thing could happen, and spark. A whole World War, just like happened in World War One. I. I compare it more to World War One than World War Two. You know, entangling alliances—they're happening right now, and everyone's getting set. So, if there's a World War, I don't know. Hold on to your seat. Our guest Hopefully, is, not nuclear. Yeah, our guest is Charlotte Dennett, the author of "Follow the Pipelines," and you're listening to WMNF Tampa. 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canan, and this is Tuesday Cafe. Jennifer has been holding for a while in Spring Hill. She wanted to respond to the gentleman who suggested that nuclear power plants were an option. So, hi, Jennifer. Hi. Um, yeah, I think the thing, so the natural tendency is to like scramble for something, and we feel like, oh, maybe that's familiar. And, you know, people just don't realize that the largest nuclear reactor is 93 million miles away, and it's the best one. It's the sun, and solar energy works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's just, but people are afraid to do that. I mean, look at look at the Philippines. They've just elected, you know, Marcos' the son. I mean, they're a dictator. So people, are, they go for something familiar and they're afraid to try something new. I have solar panels in my house. My get, or my bill is only, because it's tied to the grid, I pay like 35 bucks a month for my, you know, electricity with air conditioning and run a pool. Also, you know, so th the point is that it, it does work, but there's all these people that, oh, it's not really strong enough because Florida Power wanted to, you know, control that. And so like, and rather than letting people have the off the grid, which I can't be, but I generate my own electricity. But the thing is, and I have to go back to the grid, but I have to stay tied to it. So they want everybody to have that centralized energy so they can make money. And that's why they put that bill up there. And Wilton Simpson pushed for that bill. And I'll, I'll give DeSantis credit that he vetoed it because it does hurt people that are putting solar panels on their house, and it does help. Solar makes a big difference, and that eases the, the need for coal and for other dirty energies, you know, oils and gas and things. So it's the thing. I, I hope, I have to say, the first time I really agreed with Nancy Pelosi in a long time, and I hope she's sincere about it because, yeah, war fuels this, and it just, energy wars just keep us in the same old, you know, spiral, and we need to just, Stop thinking about the usual and start realizing that these other things work just as well so or better because there's no, you, you know, a bad day with solar, like a solar energy spill would be a beautiful day like today. So, you Thanks. know, that, that's something that we just got to keep in mind. Thank you for your call, Jennifer. Let's get our re reaction from our guest, Charlotte Dennett, author of Follow the Pipelines. Bravo to you. Bravo to you for, for doing the solar panels. And, uh, you know, the day will come, I believe, where we are going to be able to rely on solar and wind. Uh, but there are problems, for instance, like Vermont. There's not enough sunshine. I mean, we have, we have uh, solar panels up here, but there, there are cloudy days that are of concern. I think, I think the technology is, is uh, preparing for those eventualities or no wind, for instance. That's the funny thing. It's like you need to be assured that you've got enough energy. And if you have uh, uh, calm days or cloudy days or so on, uh, somehow that's got to be factored in. Now, you, you living in Florida, I don't think you have that problem. 
And uh, so, yeah, but, but the energy companies themselves really want people to be dependent on them. That's how it works. And they're very powerful, as we know. Uh, they got a lot of money. Uh, I was just covering a, uh, a primary race in California by a Democrat uh, running against uh, two other Democrats, both who are very heavily dependent on oil, oil money for their campaigns. And money talked, you know, so it's going to be an interesting battle for quite a long time to come. I guess and by the way, I would, I, I would just add that, you know, the, the brutality of Putin's war in, in Ukraine um, has to be looked at in a context. Part of it, I believe, is humiliation. Uh, the dissolution of the Soviet Union was a hugely um, humiliating factor for Russian leaders, even the people themselves, I think. And, and one of the factors that, that really annoys them is that when that happened in 1992, uh, the United States pledged that they would not move any farther east towards Russian borders. And what they did is they continually violated that. So what you have is uh, a leader who uh, wants to end the humiliation. And when did, when did that happen before? Hitler, you know, Hitler was humiliated by German losses in World War I, by the way, because they ran out of gas, okay? He was humiliated by it. And so that's what it does. I mean, these, these energy wars, Sorry. Well, I want to thank so much for coming on WMNS Tuesday Cafe, Charlotte. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Charlotte Dennett is the author of Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy and the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. And you're listening to WMNF Tampa. Coming up, I want to thank John Dunn for answering phones and... and um, You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. This show is every Tuesday morning at 10. Next Tuesday, I will be on at 10 o'clock in the morning. And if you like the program, programming on 88.5 FM, please consider making a donation at WMNF.org. In this time slot tomorrow, Shelly will host Midpoint. Her guests will talk about the way to, that you can support people who are still seeking abortions even after Roe versus Wade is... Uh, even if it's overturned. Next up, we have Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. Their guest is the founder of Wish Farms. That's coming up after NPR headlines. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. Thanks so much for listening. Live from NPR News and Washington.